the emotion was that I didn't really have words. Because as long as I've been doing this, it still feels like the click of a finger. You know, I can take myself back to being a kid and putting F1 in this dream world. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. This week, my guest is one of Formula One's biggest stars. He's a driver who can mix it with the very best on track, and he's peerless off it. His personality shines bright in everything that he does, and never more than when he's on the podium. Shoey, anyone? The man I'm talking about is, of course, Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel's been on the show before, back in 2019. And since then, a lot's happened. Most significantly, he's moved to McLaren and he's already won his first race for the team at Monza of all places. We talk about lots of different things in this episode, both on and off the racetrack. And as the Formula One circus decamps to Austin this week, it's also a good time to talk about his passion for all things American. As ever, Daniel is open, engaging and great fun. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Daniel, how are things? Hello, Thomas. <laughs> Daniel Joseph, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Things are good. good. Things are good. Yeah. It's been it's been two years since you were last on the pod. Can mm. you sum up the last twenty four months for me? Wow. Oh, well, I feel we've lost a bit of it through COVID. Like it's like where did where did a year go, in a way? But uh, a lot's happened. A lot has certainly happened. I remember we were in. A hotel room in Abu Dhabi. Eating uh, chips. Eating chips. And salmon. Come on. I did have grilled salmon. I remember. And uh, If you're listening, Zach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was. Don't. Come on. Don't make me sound bad. I, I've, I've got a very good memory. Like, you were. Crazy. Yes, he was eating salmon. Uh, but there was chips as well. And I was uh, obviously wearing black and yellow. And now I'm in papaya. And uh, so a lot's happened. But also away from racing, the world's a bit of a different place. But fortunately, it's coming back to some normality. What did you learn? What have you learned during lockdown? Let's start off track. Yeah, I, well, initially I learned, you know, I was three months on the farm in, uh, in Australia. And as much as I loved that alone time and that space, you know, I learned how much I miss the sport and how much I love it. So, yeah, being yeah, deprived of it felt, you know, felt kind of good because it made me really hungry to come back into it. So... Yeah, it's like in a way you don't know what you got till it's gone, that that kind of thing. And not that I had obviously contemplated retiring or anything like that, but you know, it does make you question like, all right, well, how much will I miss it? And not having it for a few months, I was like, man, I, I miss this a lot. So yeah, it was it was nice to have that feeling. Nice to know how much I care about it. That's the sport. But for people who don't know about the farm. Oh yeah, that Where I'm, are we? Where we're in <laughs> Western Australia, near Perth. How close to Perth? Ah, you know. 12 hours away yes. <laughs> so just around the corner <laughs> yeah so i uh, i know i, I kind of turned that into a racing answer but yeah so it's in it's in western australia and i got it a few years ago not crazy long maybe like four years ago and it was really it's something i always wanted as a kid i love space and i've always been into like dirt bikes and stuff so even just the ability to put music loud and not have a neighbor you know to to kind of complain you know having that space I've just always been I guess fascinated with it 
and I love the outback. I love nature and all that. And so, uh, yeah, the farm got that and it's just been, it's probably been the best purchase I've ever, you know, made in my life, um, no matter how big or small. And it was just, uh, it's been great to also get my friends, you know, when I do get home, my friends come out there and we can just catch up. You know, there's no other distractions. We're not out in a restaurant or a bar and it's just us on the farm, whether it's by a little fire or just having a few beers. It's uh, it's kind of perfect for what I for what I want. Also to keep our, I guess, like friendships really healthy and again, not have other distractions and just catch up, if you know what I mean, and talk real stuff uh, and have a few laughs uninterrupted. It's cool. I'm hearing a rumor that you're quite good on a, is it a 110 ro- off-road bike? <laughs> 110, right? yeah, a little 110. <laughs> can, can you handle the power, mate? <laughs> <laughs> so I I love bikes and I've been, I'm a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a, a tragic? Yeah, is that the word? Like a, um, like gonna... a wannabe tragic or a, a, you know, as a kid, I, I loved BMXing, like BMX bikes. And we would, with friends, you know, on a weekend would, build jumps and I'd get two feet of air and think I was going to be pro but there was always a fascination with two wheels and and just like jumping and just I don't know that feeling of like kind of floating through the air even though I haven't really ever done anything that big but so then now I love dirt bikes I rode a dirt bike I was quite old you know when I first rode a proper dirt bike because mum was very anti two wheels which I don't blame her getting her to allow me to do four wheels was already a big task I, I thought I'd be good on a dirt bike. Truth is, I'm not that good. Not good at all, really. So then come these 110s. So they're, they're mini dirt bikes, but they're kind of the craze now. Like adults are riding them and it's like, a, it's basically a motorized like mountain bike, really. And if you're not that good, you can get away with it because we're big and we can throw them around. So anyway. Big air? 110s. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I hit a few ramps last year. I was pretty stoked. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I love it. I just love bikes and I just, it's also the freedom. It reminds me when I started go-karting, you know, that you have that freedom, the wind in your kind of face. And, uh, I get that back on like a motorbike. What about the journal? I remember start of lockdown, you talked about writing a journal, uh, you know, are you going to try and take our jobs? What's going on? Are you still writing? <laughs> are you still writing it? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a personal journal, you know, and it's more just to, just for me to hold myself accountable or to learn about myself. What you end up doing or what I found with a journal is you, you don't even have a plan. You just put pen to paper and then it's like, oh, wow, oh, this is why I haven't been sleeping well. It's because this is on my mind or I've been really happy with this or I've got to make more effort with that. It can be racing related. It can be life related. But yeah, it's just been a nice, a nice thing to do. And I'm still, you know, guilty of not doing it often enough, but uh, it's cool. Normally on flights... You know, I think when you're up in an airplane, you, it's, you're really having alone time. Not many other distractions up there. So that's a good time to journal. You don't find that as soon as they shut the door, fast asleep. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's sometimes, Every time. <laughs> sometimes why I'm not always right. Maybe it's an it. age thing. <laughs> no, I, I am envious though. So my mum's one that literally, you know, as you say, shut the doors and she's asleep. There's, yeah. She doesn't remember takeoff or landing. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what about live music? I know you're a massive fan. How much have you missed that during the pandemic? A lot, like a dramatic amount. <sighs> yeah, that's been difficult because 
I think on your, let's say on the, call it tougher days or harder days, there is certain things you miss, whether it's family, whether it's a bit of a social life. And that's, that's something where music's always given me this, I guess, like beautiful escape. If I feel good, it'll make me feel better. And if I don't feel that good, it'll make me feel better. And I just, I don't know, it's weird because I, I didn't grow up playing instruments. I don't have any music background, but I know that I have like a connection with music because it changes the way I feel. And it's, I love watching someone, yeah, just, just perform and... Can you sing? No. I mean, I try, but I mean, I try as in, you know, I'm a shower singer and if I'm in the car by myself, I'll sing, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I sing. I, I, <laughs> I make noises. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, you'll, you'll look around, say the venue, and everyone is engaged in the performance, you know, so it's, uh, everyone's there with a kind of level of calmness and happiness and it's, even that itself, like the crowd itself, makes the the experience quite nice. And do you get the same experience when you're watching live sport? UFC, for example. I mean, well, no, it's that's a such a different thing. <laughs> Bad example. But, you know, when you're watching any other live sport that's not motor race. Um, well, I mean, most, yeah, most sports I watch are, are pretty intense. But no, I, it's a different experience. You know, but I, what I do feel is, well, I guess that's probably answering it. I do feel when I watch another sport, I feel my heart rate go up, you know, especially if I'm invested in someone and I want someone to win or do well, then yeah, I can feel I'm starting to get nervous or anxious for them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a nail biter. I've been trying to stop for a long time, but yeah, I'll find myself bite my nails or whatever. And uh, so I do get invested even if I try not to. <laughs> So look, for people listening to this, what's Daniel Ricardo listening to at the minute? <sighs> I hate this question. It's so tough. Uh, Go on, pick, it's, pick two. It's broad. It's very broad. Uh, so, I mean, there's... Oh, I feel bad because I'm always going to leave someone out who I, I like, but uh, okay, so... Well, direct someone in, to your playlists. Oof. All right, well, okay. So one, one guy, so I, I was listening to him basically all through my August break and it was just the perfect kind of summer break music. Fred again is his name, English. And it's just beautiful, happy. I mean, I, I guess it's like electronic styled music, but I, I don't know the specific genre. I don't want to butcher it. But then there's Gang of Youths, an Australian band who I love. They're slowly releasing some songs now to get ready for their new album. So they've all been great and uh, a little bit different to their previous album. So I'm, I'm really liking that. Is it new music for you or you know like the stones the rolling stones are playing at kota i think it's the end of november isn't it really bad timing so we're not there for the race but i mean would you still get a kick out of watching them yeah i would i would i, I do tend to lean away from i guess like the pop i'll just call them like pop bands or pop artists because for me maybe i'm a bit of a i don't know like a snob or something with this but it's kind of too obvious it's like, oh yeah, everyone knows them or everyone. And it's, it's not that I don't like them, but I would much rather see kind of an unknown artist and I guess appreciate where they are. And it's also exciting if you kind of see someone on maybe on the come up. And to put a motor racing leaning on that, do you enjoy looking at young drivers coming through? Do you take a lot of interest in, in what's going on in Formula 3, Formula 4? I, I watch, you know, on definitely on race weekends, you know, particularly if there's yeah F2, F3 on on the uh, on the same schedule, then I'm I'm watching those races because I might also be looking at 
uh, maybe that's a good corner to to pass or something. So I'm trying to also gain information for myself, but I'm a fan. So I, I just enjoy watching the races. And, you know, in F2, there's been uh, Oscar Piastri, who's been doing really well, and, and F3, a couple other Aussies as well, with Jack and Callan, and they've been doing well and, and whatever. So it's uh, it's it's been cool to also, like, support young Aussies. I really hope I didn't miss anyone there. I think I got them. I'm a fan, for sure. Now look, we're heading to Austin this weekend. Let's talk America, first of all. I know you're a fan, a massive fan. You were out in, in this part of the world in the, uh, in the summer break, weren't you? What is it about the States? Does it remind you of Australia? Just tell us why you love it. Yeah, it reminds me of home, for sure. There is some elements of it which I feel are familiar. But it's, uh, yeah... I mean, Austin, I mean, I'll, I'll use Austin. So first year I went to Austin, it was probably the first year for all of us, really. I, I'm not sure Austin was a, let's say, a travel destination for many of us before F1 took us there. And I went into it not knowing really anything about it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this place is... And even from, I vividly remember at the time, just the way people dressed. You know, I was in these little small music venues or bars and... I remember this girl had like a mechanics overall on and I was like, I've never seen someone wear something like that with confidence. I was like, but she looks good. Like it's awesome. And it was just a, it was a really, I don't know, just a nice place where people were so comfortable to be them. And they were also super friendly, very welcoming. And once they heard you had an accent, they were like, Oh, what are you doing here? I'd love to give you this recommendation. And it's just a warm place. And even now, I mean, you can see my face. I'm smiling, talking about it. Just some places give you this, for lack of a better term, like a good energy. And that's what I, I certainly get. Do you get that vibe everywhere you go in the States? I mean, have you, have you got a place on the West Coast somewhere? Yeah, so, uh, so California is a, a place that I've just always loved as well. And uh, California. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to love. Um, so I, I do have a place there and... I love it. It's an escape as well. It's a it's a home away from home. Uh, and I think I've, we got to the bottom of this. It's the weather, right? <laughs> I mean, that's I was about to say. <laughs> normally, the sunshine. So if if you don't know this about me yet, um, the four seasons that we need in life are summer, 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 and that's all I ever want. I finally have Alan Jones bought a place. I remember when he was racing for Williams back in in, in the in the eighties, early eighties. He bought a place in California because he was fed up with the European winters. They're tough. And yeah, that's another thing. You can go over Christmas and, and the weather's great. And there's still a lot in the States I want to go and see and, and travel to and places like Montana, um, again, kind of get back to a little bit of outback and and see yeah more of the States style outback. You know, I'm familiar with Australia and I love it. So kind of see what the States has to offer on that front. Go on then. What is the coolest thing you've done in America? <laughs> what do you get up to uh, in the summer break? What Last Christmas you were out there as well. What did you get up to? I'm going to go blank. Uh, well, I mean, like, also one thing I thought of, you know, that first that came to my head is some friends have a ranch out there. So went out to the ranch and just rode 110s and explored. And we did like this enduro. We were kind of, we did like a three-hour ride all up these single tracks up to the top of this kind of peak. And you could see the ocean and it was just beautiful. So that's fun surfing oh yes so i surfed for the second time in my life uh, down in san diego uh with one of my friends from perth 
uh, who was traveling at the time, Curtis. So we, we got some boards and yeah, we rented a place for two nights and, and surfed. That was uh, a few years ago. How, how does it work that an Aussie has only surfed twice in his life? I mean, yes. stereotypes and everything, but... <laughs> I know. So I, growing up, we lived not even 10 minutes from the ocean, from the coast. And uh, I think just... Let me and, ask again. Then. Yeah, <laughs> mum and dad weren't ocean people. It was probably as simple as that. So we, we love looking at the beach and whatever, but we'd never really went to the beach. And uh, so I guess it's a bit like that. And then you kind of get this fear of sharks as well. And I'm not that comfortable with animals in general. I gotta say, is, is that real? The fear of sharks? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, or like, f- at least growing up it was. Do you have Steven Spielberg to thank for that? Or is there <laughs> another reason uh, for it? I mean, I definitely think Jaws influenced a lot of people, like probably negatively in, in that in that respect. Uh, so I did watch that film. And if I was already scared of them, then I was most certainly afterwards. But uh, yeah, I, I think then... It's something I do want to do more. So I have done it a few times surfing and I love it. Am I still a bit scared of the ocean? Yeah, I am. That's probably a healthy thing though, isn't it? Maybe. I was always, I mean, again, I preferred two wheels. Like on a weekend, I would rather go BMX riding or dirt bike riding as opposed to going to the beach and surfing. So yeah, I guess it's land over water and that was that was kind of my choice. But in saying that, I do have a little bit of a call it retirement plan at some point. So when I do finally call it a day with F1, I do want to kind of just do a three month surf trip and just basically surf every morning for three months and see well, what that's like. Get a VW camper. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah, I've got like this uh, <laughs> vision. I actually, I, I met up with a friend recently and they've just got into surfing and just even listening to them speak about it. I was just like, oh, and this friend's older than me. So I was like, all right, if they're starting this late and getting this kind of enjoyment from it, then it's not too late. So that's that's a bit of a what I'll do the day I retire, if, if you will. What is your relationship with racing in the, you know, the day that you retire five years, 10 years hence from Formula One? Will you race anything else or will that be it? Will you do a Nico Rosberg or a Damon Hill and not race anything again? In my head, that's what I've told myself. And not not because I want to think a certain way, but just I think that's how I will feel. But who knows? You know, as I said, with lockdown, I missed it. So I think I'll always do something with, and it might be two wheels. It might just be riding my 110, you know, (laughs) five days a week and getting my kicks out of that. Uh, But um, I, I do feel, or I want to say that I put everything into it so that when I do retire, I'm actually exhausted from it. And I'm like, you know what? I've, pretty much poured all of my current existence into this and it's now time for something else. So I would like to leave with that, if you know what I mean, um, with that fulfillment that I can move on and pursue whatever else it is in life. So that would be the, at least my idea of it. Just before we move on um, from America, American sports, American food, American all of, cu- all of it, right? Is that what? Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad how much I talk about America because I'm like, I feel like I don't want to neglect Australia. It's it's obvious I love Australia and I love home, but yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, no, just tell us about <laughs> tell us about you're a an, an NFL fan, right? So I've got into I've got into the um, so I've always loved American sport. I mean, I love sports in general. I'm a bit of a sports nut, and but you know, I 
it's not a sport I followed, you know, as a, as a kid. So NFL is something I've, I've started to take more of an interest in. Uh, I went to the Super Bowl, uh, yeah, 2020. And it was, it was amazing and awesome. And it was the first live game I'd seen. I went to college football, Texas Longhorns, hook them. But uh, yeah, this was the first NFL game. And anyway, I was, I was just, I was all about it. And I was like, oh, I, I need to get behind a team. And the jersey needs to look cool. You know, if you're, if you're a latecomer into a, let's say getting into a sport or one of these, like it's basketball or a jersey you're going to represent, I was like, at least let it look cool. And I, I didn't want to go down anything too obvious. And uh, then I was like, the Bills, Buffalo Bills. Their jersey looks cool. Then they've got what's called the Bills Mafia, which is basically, call it the Bills <laughs> fan club. And they're Are nuts. you a member? They are, well, so basically, I think to be a member these days, you've got to put yourself through a table. That's what they do. So anyway, after this, I'll give you some links. But just look up Bill's Mafia and you'll see. They're, they're wild and they're loose and they remind me of my friends back home. So yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a little bit of me in that. Talking of shirts that look good, you are entering the fashion world, right? And I believe this weekend, there's a bit of an announcement. Am there I right? Is, there is so. I got what do we call uh, it? The Speedway Collection. The Speedway Collection. What's yeah, that all about? You're well informed. What's it, yeah, what's it all about? <laughs> so, 2020. So we, let's say, the team around me, we were talking about doing, yeah, clothing, for a while. But it was like, I did dabble with it a few years ago, and but I was like, let's. I want to kind of build. Let's actually try to build a, a business and something that is properly something that I'm invested in and that I care about so when we started I was I was kind of hooked and all the you know group chats all the email links I wanted to be connected to it all and my team's like look we'll take care of this like you don't need to put all your time into this obviously there's racing and you got other stuff I was like no no no, I want to be involved in this so to a point where anyway so designs all of it material we are very deep in it and uh so yeah long story short it's been fun it's been going really well and i've enjoyed it more than anything which is important and uh this next uh the speedway collection is it's really a tip of the hat to my love for nascar and also the apparel that comes with nascar you know the big kind of loud shirts with the the bright colors and um you know i'm a fan of i people have seen me before where like retro Dell Earnhardt shirts and all this so it's um it's in the theme of that and like the trucker caps and uh so it's cool it's stuff that obviously I would wear um so it is me and it's got my flavor but uh I think the cool thing is seeing people around the world start to wear your stuff and it's you know it's not just at a racetrack you'll see them my friends actually sent me a photo of this couple in New York uh, a couple weeks ago and he just he was at a whatever cafe and took a photo of these like as a random couple wearing like two Ricardo shirts. And I was like, how did that end up there? Does that give you a lot of satisfaction? Yeah, like more, more than it probably should. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So it's a win-win because I love doing it. And then I, I do get a lot of satisfaction seeing people wear it, represent it, and I guess enjoy it. So it's, uh, it's fun. And it's, it's, you know, potentially, again, something I could do, you know, for years to come and, and post-career. So that as well like building stuff like this is is really exciting i'll get you a shirt i'll get okay. you a shirt mate i'll hold you to that um now let, let's talk formula one now um Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> you've done 
more than 200 races now. Um, fair few. Um, how does your relationship with F1 change over time and with experience? And, you know, we talked about 2012 when you first went uh, to Austin. Just how does your life and relationship with the sport now compare to back then? I guess it, it constantly changes or I would say it constantly evolves. And um, I definitely got to a point over the years where I, I made a point to enjoy, let's say, the experience as a whole and not just arrive to a race and just be about the race and the track and that's it. So I think Austin actually probably opened my eyes to that, you know, going out to bars and, and little music venues and actually enjoying the week as a whole then made the racing experience even better. Did it make you a better racing driver? I believe it did, you know, and it, and it worked for me. Would it work for everyone? Probably not, but it just gave me, um, I, I just got into the car just happy. I was like, well, last night was awesome and this city's so cool and I've just got a lot of energy that I've taken from, let's say, these experiences and I'm going to get in the car now and have even more fun. So, yeah, it, it definitely changes your, your mindset as well. So that that's evolved over time. And so I, I make a point of enjoying the experience and places we go. And then with the sport itself, it'll probably till the end, it'll continue to be like a love-hate at times. Is it as extreme as that? It can be. It can be. Again, for me, I speak, I speak uh, on behalf of myself. I'm a very competitive, and I say that like it's easy for people to be, oh, of course you're competitive, but no, no, I am a very competitive person since I was a kid. And it's not just with racing. It can be with anything. It can be with a game of Uno or something like this. It's, I do hate losing. And I think over the years, I've become a better loser, if you know what I mean. I've just so like if we were playing mature. tennis, would you humor me or would you want to just rub oh, my face I'd in the dirt? I'd want to bury you. Bear, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, make no mistake. <laughs> And that's it's and sometimes All I right, love. If we were on those one tens together, <laughs> really though, I mean you're being, you're being serious. Oh right? yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd want to absolutely bury me. Yeah, and I, I like that I've got that fire in me, and I like that I've got whatever that gene is in me. But <laughs> sometimes it makes it more painful, obviously, because you dealing with it can be a little harder. But I love it because again, it shows me that I care. It shows me that I want it. It's powerful, and I use it to my advantage when I, when I can. So, uh, and I think going through, call it the lows of the sport, it makes the highs that much higher and they last, call it an eternity. Daniel Ricciardo on course for his first victory since Redemption. Monaco 2018. He left Red Bull, he went to Renault. Holy back at cheese balls, that's another podium. He's gone to McLaren. He's going to get the victory now. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. For anyone who thought I left, I never left. Let's talk Monza then. Are you still somewhere in your mind on a high? Parts of me, yeah. And I'm choosing to be. I am because it's, you know, not, not to a point where I'm walking around with my, with my chest puffed out. It's, it's not that, but I'm, I'm just choosing to still appreciate it, I guess, and enjoy it. It had been so long and yeah, but that high as well, 
the the feeling of Monza and how many I I literally still haven't replied to all the messages. You know, it was it was insane how many people reached out, and uh, that's just a nice feeling to have. So I, I I feel bad just letting it go like that. Were the emotions on the podium there comparable to to Monaco in 2018? Yeah, yeah. I think the the only thing that it let's say lacked was the atmosphere you know there was uh not a full crowd and and all of that so maybe that was the only difference but everything else the emotions the the feeling the relief the happiness uh, all of it the people around me the team the, the the paddock I was getting pats on the back from people from every different team and from the media it was it was just really nice what was your reaction to the reaction were you quite humbled by it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, it does make me proud. Like, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. And I, I will speak, um, well, just try to be honest about it and open. But it does make me proud. And it, it kind of shows me that I'm I'm doing or I've done something right in the sport, you know, where, because if I win, you know, no one should care more than me about winning, if you know what I mean. But I felt like so many people cared as much as I did. And so many people were as happy as I was. So that's, yeah, as you say, humbling, but it does make me proud because I'm like, okay, I've obviously gone about this in a, in a good way to have this effect on people. So it's nice and I think it's, it's definitely genuine and I think that's probably what makes me proud is that I feel I've always been in this sport as me. I don't think it's changed me too much over the years. What was the nicest message you received oh. that you can tell us? Oh, oh. Uh, were fellow drivers texting you? And- yeah, yeah, I had some from fellow drivers, which is always nice. And again, we competitors. How do they text? Uh, great victory, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> some of them, yeah. But so, I mean, some were just like, you know, like you deserved it and really, really happy for you, like totally chuffed for you, like respect for, you know, finding a way to kind of get back to the top kind of thing. So that's cool. Oh, I want to say there's one, but, but I definitely had some along the lines of like, you don't know how much joy and happiness you've just given us today. Like to watch you do that. And after the year you've had, you know, like we've ridden with you and it's just like, we're so happy and proud. And that's, that sort of stuff is really, really cool. And your trophy for that win now sits alongside Senna's at the MTC, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and you were at Adelaide in 1993 as a, a wee bound, yeah. but, <laughs> but you were there, weren't you? Senna's last victory in Formula One. Does that feel a bit, do you even get emotional seeing that association? I did, absolutely. When I, uh, like, I mean, the emotion was that I didn't really have words. You know, I was, I was speaking very slow and deliberate because it was, it was emotional. Because as long as I've been doing this, it still feels like, the click of a finger, you know, I can take myself back to being a kid and putting F1 in this dream world. Senna has given us a magnificent demonstration of how to go motor racing today. To win the last Grand Prix of 1993, a magnificent achievement for him, for McLaren and for Ford, and Ayrton Senna wins in Australia to the delight of his fans. To be there and to see Senna, and I think just to see the trophy and to 
kind of have these visualizations, I guess, of him picking up that exact trophy on that day. And now for me to have a trophy that I picked up on, on the top step next to it. I was just trying to draw these, like, I don't know, parallels or whatever you call it. And I was just, it's like, how, how did I, how did I end up here? So I still do pinch myself, which I like. I like that because it does make me appreciate it. Do you actually remember Adelaide 93? Because you were four. Yeah. Do, so, do, you, do you really remember it? Well, I, I do. So there's, there's a photo of me and dad on, on the, the pit wall on like the start finish straight after all the podium uh, ceremony. And I do have like one photographic memory of sitting on the basically sitting on the track and and looking up at like the pit buildings so i'm able to picture that now and that's that's what i have and daniel how needed was that win at monza yeah made me feel good <laughs> it was needed just in, um, in the context yeah. of the year as a whole yeah it, it was needed like no doubt about it there was so much good that came from that for me for people around me I you know like you don't you don't really lose faith in yourself because you know you know what you're capable of but if you haven't done it for a while then of course it's like ah uh, like like and may, you might not even know it, but it's like am I am I am I not 100% in this corner or am I am I at 98 now and I don't even know it or like so you get these at times, maybe these little voices, I guess. But in saying that, I will say I'm quite good at shutting that stuff out and staying pretty strong within myself. But uh, I think I knew it. And the truth is I knew it when I led. You know, I got the start. And I, I as soon as I pulled out of the first chicane in the lead, I, I literally, I remember going out and I had a smile. And I was just like, oh, like the, the pit crew right now, the garage must be going nuts. Like we're leading. And they were. I, <laughs> yeah, they were, but I felt comfortable and that was, that was all I needed. I was like, yeah, this is not overwhelming for me. This isn't a forgotten feeling. Like this is, in my head, I'm telling myself, this is where I belong. Like this is where I want to be. And I, I really drove that race with a comfort and a calmness. And at times I was singing to myself, I was tapping the wheel. I was just enjoying it and I wanted to enjoy it. You know, when you, when you lead from start to finish, you want to wish the race away. You want it to be over. Because like, I just let's just drop the flag already and let me win this. But I was like, no, I want to be, I guess, in the moment to enjoy all of this. It's been so long. The whole field is trying to catch me right now. I'm the target. I was like, let me enjoy this for a little while. Do you believe in form for racing drivers? I will. I will say yes. I will say yes. Um, people might say a different word, but yeah, form, I think, in, in sports is is a is a thing again it, it might be completely dictated around your your let's say external happiness if you're having a good week or if you've been having a good month and if things are well with just your life in general if family's good or personal life's good then i yeah, remember senna that, saying as much as oh really mm. yeah i think it's goes back to probably austin you know going to bars and venues and then jumping in the car I'm like well I'm, I feel good because I had a great time and now I'm getting in the car and you can drive with a let's say a sense of freedom and happiness and 
yeah, so that that can let's say spiral into a run of good form. I read a an interesting quote from the swimmer Adam Peaty recently, you know, multiple gold medal winner, and he says the mind is the athlete, the body is simply the means. Mm. Do you understand? That? Can that. you relate to that? Absolutely. Yeah, I rate that. Because I, I can tell from experience that some of my best results have not come from my best week of training or, you know, I haven't won races because I'm the strongest or fittest driver on the grid every single week. You know, it's some weeks you're sleep deprived with jet lag and, and whatever. But if you're like a rock up there in your head, then nothing can stop you. I love that. I love that. That's why I love watching other sports, because for me, I take the mental aspect out of it. I'm like, okay, what's this guy thinking right now? What are they thinking? And yeah, tennis is tennis is a big one where it's so back and forth. Is it individual sports that you like the most? Is that where you need it most upstairs? That's I yeah, I've always felt that. I've always been yeah, I've just been drawn to individual sports more so. But I think it sways as well. I'm not saying team sports have it as well. And you see momentum shift and it's it's uh, it's cool, but I think the craziest one really is for, for shifts and, and back and forths is probably tennis where you could, whatever, have lost 10 points in a row and then you hit three winners. So you just won three points in a row and you are now on fire and it can be that quick. Do you play a lot of tennis as part of your training for Formula One, both mentally and physically? I mean, I love playing. I don't play often enough just because of time and schedule but I do uh, and you are Emma Raducanu's favourite Formula 1 driver you know that's what we do that's what we do (laughs) thanks Emma Um, so (laughs) so in lockdown going back to the farm we had a a table tennis table and uh, we were playing pretty much every day and uh, I was playing with Michael and we we were very yes and we were very competitive and for me it was I think skill wise we're the same and in my head i'm like whoever's winning is the one who is staying the strongest up here so you know even with one of my best mates i'm still with the mindset of how can i beat him how can i bury him bury him exactly so yeah and i'm learning about myself through all this so you can you can do things along the way for sure so monza was win number eight and to put that in perspective that's three more wins than Keke Rosberg had in his whole career, and he's a world champion. Do you feel that your talent deserves a world title? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I, I I say yes, but I don't I don't want to come from a bitter standpoint where you know, damn it, I should have had this. Like, why 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 don't I have the big trophy? And I don't come at it from that angle. But um, I mean, I go back to 2014. In my in my head, my belief is, yeah, I could have won the world title that year if we had the the means to do so. I think for me to win three races when Mercedes was so quick, I'm like, okay, I I believe in equal equipment. I was the guy to beat that year. You know, so there, there's there's years that have gone where I'm like, if everyone had equal equipment this year, I believe I was on a level that would have got me a world title. But I don't look at that. I mean, even talking about it, I, I don't actually feel that good about it because I'm, I don't want to come at it like, oh, well, yeah, I'm better than who won that year, Lewis or whatever. It's, it's just, I just know that the way I was driving and feeling within myself in, in those seasons, I was like, yeah. 
Has that been your best year so far? 14 was definitely one of them, I think because it was my biggest transition period and it was, let's say, my coming out year of getting to the top tier and taking the wins and being the aggressive overtaker and all that. That was that was definitely my pivotal year. 16 was one where that was another strong one, but it's it's not a... It's definitely not a dig at any opponents or anything. It's just I felt like I was driving very well those years and I could have definitely been in a fight. But there was a time where I was like a little bit bitter. At like, well, I, I should have had a title by now. Like, this sucks. And why, why don't I? Like, wrong place, wrong time, all this or that. But yeah, maybe that's the growth in me or the maturity where I don't, I don't think that anymore. And I'm still here because I believe I can win a title. And I want to win a title, but I'm at peace with whatever happens. As long as I just go out and leave it all on the track, then I'll get fulfillment. Sebastian Vettel said on this pod, actually, that his tenure at Ferrari had been a failure because he hadn't won the world title. Is the title your only goal with McLaren? And if you don't get it, will you view it in similar terms? I'll say no. I'll say no, because if I say I'm at McLaren for five years and we don't get a title, I don't want to look back on the five years as a failure because then it's like, well, okay, that's five years of my life that I'm kind of just flushing down the toilet. Five years of your life is a lot of time. So that's, that's maybe the mindset switch that I've made. And it's not, it, don't get me wrong, it has not made me any softer or less driven or less motivated but it's um i want to enjoy my time here in the sport and the goal is world champion and i think that's why i will wake up every morning with a desire to do this but i don't want that to dictate my whole happiness because i've been doing it 10 years i'm not world champion yet so there's no guarantee that it'll happen i just don't want to put all my eggs into that basket and then be miserable for the rest of my life because i haven't done it you know so winning in monza was probably all I needed to give me all the happiness in in 2021 you know so that also proved that you can get so much from not just a world title. Daniel what about 2022 how much of an opportunity is that for you and for the team? New regs new car? It's exciting for the whole sport you know for us at McLaren certainly see it as maybe another opportunity to get to get closer again the team has been on an awesome trajectory. So, you know, I've certainly felt that and been a part of that this year. So the plan is to continue on that with these rule changes. I think there's a bigger opportunity to, let's say, make a bigger step. But uh, every team has the same opportunity. Every team's thinking the same. So it's not just us, but uh, the thought of it makes me smile. Um, And I think what's been really... I'm, I'm kind of going back to a previous question, but you said, what did the win do for me? And, and, you know, also what it did for the team was just as powerful, you know, because the team's been on this trajectory. They've had podiums, but to get the win, let's say, confirms a lot of belief that the team have in themselves to get it done. And even going to the mechanics, we had the fastest pit stop of that race in Monza to do that when the team is not notoriously known for the fastest pit stops. So to execute that in probably the highest pressure pit stop of the year, that is what I took from that weekend. Like, man, we, we've got a group of winners here. 
and that makes me really excited. So you feel you're ready as a team yeah. to it challenge for a world championship. Yeah. And and the truth is Monza proved everything because it it's the win, but it's everything that happened around that that showed that no one cracked. Like no one cracked. That is really important. How does the reality of racing for McLaren compare to the dream that Zach and Andreas sold you? It, it matches. It really does. You know, that's, I think they've got such a good balance between themselves. And I think they've done such a good job at bringing this team where it is. And, you know, I can't speak of, you know, previous McLaren days. Obviously, I wasn't here, so I'm definitely not taking shots there. But, it, you know, I see the culture they're trying to bring in and, and I hear, obviously, it's it's different to what it used to be. And maybe it also more fits in line with me and my personality, but it's uh, it's really good. And, you know, it's, uh, of course, when you're trying to sign with a team or a, tra- a team's trying to get you, yeah, they're going to try to at least sell you the dream. But I think there was a lot of reality in this as well. And I'm living through that as as they said at the moment so i'm i'm very happy what kind of a boss is zach how does he compare american (laughs) (laughs) full of life (laughs) how does he compare to previous ones helmet can you compare zach brown and helmet marco for me right now i mean their personalities are very different you know helmet's a man a few words zach is zach probably talks as much as me but you know then the similarities is they're both hungry and yes they might show it in different ways through their personality but they are both so hungry to do this i mean helmet everyone knows you know for him to be still traveling to every race doing this like that speaks for itself and i'll always respect and and admire helmet for that and zach is you know he wants to do it he loves racing you know he is he's the biggest fanboy but in the most positive way you know it's it gives him the desire to be better, to build a better team. And then Andreas has that, let's call it that German efficiency. And he's he's got that killer instinct that you need in a team to kind of have that authority, but have that uh, also have that trust in the people around you. What's his greatest quality? And I'm talking about Andreas now. Is it that killer instinct? I love that description. Yeah, yeah. I think it is that. I think it is that. It's, that. it's that killer instinct, but it's also, he's a guy that will tell you wrong from right, but he also in a way no one's intimidated to go and talk to him about hey i have an issue with this you know so he doesn't he doesn't create a barrier he doesn't create um i don't know if it's the right term but like a a hierarchy or a position of no you you can't speak to me speak to that guy he welcomes call it constructive criticism because he wants to build a better team so yeah you you know he's let's say the boss in many respects but he's also a guy that will listen to you and help build this team to something better and how was he with you when you're having one of your tougher moments earlier in the year i mean from from my point of view very good because there was certainly a lot of support and it wasn't trying to point the finger you know on day one it's like come on we expected you to be you know top three by now why aren't you there was a lot of um a process to it understanding okay what is it that you need what can we do to help you, you know, get more confidence with this car, get more feeling, speak to me, tell me how I can do this. So that was very good. Um, but then obviously, you know, you get to a point where the results maybe still aren't coming and it's like, okay, look, it's been a while now. 
what what else can we do T- tell me i need you to be honest with me open you know do you feel what i feel what's holding you back so it's it's these honest conversations that are really important where it's let's say it's constructive and if it's positive negative it's still constructive and it's all about how we as a team can be better and you know i i say he it's andreas but it's it's mclaren want me to do well you know they wanted me in the team and they want me to do well so it's how can they help me get to that place and that level of support's been really good they were only ever 100 percent loyal in the media as well yeah and look i'm i'm all for someone coming at me and telling me i've done can i swear on here I, I, <laughs> a bad job let's say a bad job or i need to pull my finger out you know so that of course i'm i'm big enough to handle that which they will tell me if they need to so we've got six races left starting in austin you're counting no time I got this wrong I think it's yeah Yeah. it is it is (laughs) what can you do because it seems to me that McLaren have got their mojo back you've got a really fast racing car are you going to start getting in the way of Max and Lewis and and causing them all sorts of grief that they really don't want as the championship really gets boiling away getting in the way means winning then of course I'll do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, look I always treat every let's say car once the helmet's on like it's it's another car and if it's in front of me and I've got a chance to to gain a position of course the mindset is to go would I send a complete dive bomb I don't even well actually I probably would if I thought <laughs> if I down thought the inside of move was on then I'll go for it um because it's also whether that happened in the last race of the year or the first race it shouldn't change you know your racecraft and it's it's also part of the race, you know, things happen. And if a driver tries to go for a move, then it's also up to the other driver to assess the risk and the situation. So put it this way, I don't plan on racing them any different, but of course, like I, I don't think I'm reckless anyway. So it's, it's probably not even one that I need to address. Like I, I don't, I obviously don't want to get in the way of their fight in terms of, I would hate to be involved in a negative way, but it won't change the approach. Once a honey badger, always a honey badger, right? That is that is true. That is true. So let's see what happens. Well, Daniel, it's been fantastic to have you on the show again. Thank you for your time. Is it back to Oz for Christmas this winter? Or? Yes. Even, yes. With, even if you've got to go into to quarantine. Quarantine, yeah. Look, I chose not to last year, but now it's been, by Christmas, it'll be over 18 months that I haven't been home and Obviously, no one's been able to travel. So I haven't seen mum and dad for 18 months. And my sister's got, you know, niece, nephew. And yeah, I'm, I'm close with family. Like that's, that's how we are. It's how we were brought up. So to not see them for that long is, is hard. And it's probably the first year in my life I've actually had homesick. So yeah, if, if it means quarantining, I mean, I don't agree with it. But if, if that's what it takes, then yeah, I'm going to bite the bullet this year. Energizing. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck with everything. Thank you, mate. And the shirt sales. Yeah, one's coming your way. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me your size. (laughs) What an engaging guy. All conversations with Daniel are fun, but he said so much of interest in this chat. I found the description of his ever-evolving relationship with Formula One fascinating. 
and I enjoyed hearing him talk about his best years in Formula One so far. He was electric in 2014, getting three wins in his first year with Red Bull. And how interesting that he thinks he could have won the world title that year in the right car. Then he talked about his goals with McLaren, and I loved his reference to Andreas Seidel's killer instinct. Andreas has been a guest on this podcast already, and I can see what Daniel means. Daniel, thanks again for your time. It was great to catch up, and... uh, I might hold you to that Speedway Collection shirt. It looks great. Now, as ever, please remember to send in any thoughts or stories on Daniel. Were you at Monza when he won for McLaren? Or did you see him win in 2014? Or have you bumped into him in the street? Let me know. And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Lawrence Stroll after last week's episode. We've had a lot of feedback about that show. So let's start with this from Farni Kamineni. F1 paddocks are always home to charismatic leaders who carry an aura around them. For example, Bernie, Ron, Eddie, Helmut, Charlie. While I thought we were heading towards a more corporate style of leadership, Mr. Stroll certainly brings that allure back as a strong leader. That's a very good point, Farney. Lawrence is more old school in his approach, isn't he? Next up, let's hear from Hassim Peacock, who said this. Hello, Tom. Thanks for the chat with Lawrence. It was inspirational to hear his plans and comprehend his dedication and strive to succeed. Brand and team are in incredible hands. Well, thanks for that, Hassim. And yes, his passion is infectious, isn't it? And then there's this from Sava. It's great to finally see the human side to Lawrence Stroll and to hear from him directly instead of through articles full of speculation. I learned a lot about him today. He's a fascinating individual and I definitely took away a thing or two from this interview. There's nothing quite like hearing it from the horse's mouth, is there, Sava? And thanks for your message. And let's end with this from JB. I'll be honest. I was sceptical when Lawrence came to what was Force India, but since listening to Beyond the Grid, I've changed my opinion of him. I have a great respect for his work ethic and his commitment to the sport that I love. That's great to hear, JB, and thanks for getting in touch. Now, as ever, we got lots more messages, but I'll stop there in the interest of time. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. We love getting your messages and we read them all. Well, that's it for another week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Daniel Ricardo, and don't forget to send in your thoughts and stories on him. Otherwise, I'll see you next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula One in association with Audioboom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs> <laughs>